Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing today with Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and as usual for this book, trigger warning, the past was the worst, and they used words which should never have been acceptable, but most definitely are not nowadays. So of course, when those arise, I shall be ducking the audio to essentially bleep them. But if you find those sorts of topics and um, that sort of language triggering, potentially listen to another book. Frankenstein or Dracula, very, very good. No offensive things, really, except some very pertinent views on parenting in Frankenstein. But that's not the topic of today's story. Today's story is Huckleberry Finn. Let's begin. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Chapter 19 Two or three days and nights went by. I reckon I might say they swam by. They slid along so quiet and smooth and lovely. Here is the way we put in the time. It was a monstrous big river down there sometimes a mile and a half wide. We run nights and laid up and hid daytimes. Soon as night was most gone, we stopped navigating and tied up, nearly always in the dead water under a towhead, and then cut young cottonwoods and willis and hit the raft with them. Then we set out our lines. Next, we slid into the river and had a swim so as to freshen up and cool off. Then we sat down on the sandy bottom where the water was about knee-deep and watched the daylight come. Not a sound anywheres. Perfectly still. Just like the whole world was asleep. Only sometimes the bullfrogs are clattering, maybe. The first thing to see, looking over the water, was a kind of dull line. That was the wood on Tudder's side. You couldn't make nothing else out. Then a pale place in the sky. Then more paleness spreading around them. Then the river softened up away off and weren't black no more, but gray. You could see little dark spots drifting along ever so far away. Trading scows and such things. And long black streaks. Rafts. Sometimes you could hear a sweep screaking or a jumbled up voice. It was so still and sounds come so far. And by and by you could see a streak on the water. Which you know by the look of the streak there's a snag in the swift current that breaks on it and makes that streak look that way. And you see the mist curl up off the water and the east reddens up. And the river in the river, and you make out a log cabin on the edge of the woods, away on the bank on the other side of the river, being a wood yard likely, and piled up by them cheats so you could throw a dog through it anywhere. Then the nice breeze springs up and comes fanning you from over there, so cool and fresh, and sweet to smell on account of the woods and flowers. But sometimes not that way, because they left a dead fish laying around, gars and such, and they do get pretty rank. And next, you've got the full day and everything's smiling in the sun, and the songbirds just going it. A little smoke couldn't be noticed now, so we'd take some fish off the lines and cook up a hot breakfast. And afterwards, we'd watch the lonesomeness of the river, and kind of lazy along, and by and by, lazy off to sleep. Wake up by and by, and look to see what done it, and maybe see a steamboat coughing along upstream, so far off towards the other side that you couldn't tell nothing about her, only whether she was stern-wheeled or side-wheeled. Then, for about an hour, there wouldn't be nothing to hear, nor nothing to see. Just a solid lonesomeness. Next, you see a raft sliding by, away off yonder, and maybe a galoot on it, chopping, because they're most always doing it on a raft. 
You'd see the axe flash and come down, and you don't hear nothing. You see that axe go up again, and by the time it's above the man's head, you hear the ka-ching. It took all that time to come over the water. So we'd put in the day, lazing around, listening to the stillness. Once, there was a thick fog, and the rafts and things that went by was beating tin pans so steamboats wouldn't run over them. A scow or a raft went by so close we could hear them talking and cussing and laughing. Heard them plain, but we couldn't see no signs of them. It made you feel crawly, like it was spirits carrying on that way in the air. Jim said he believed it was spirits, but I says no spirits wouldn't say darin' the darin' fog. As soon as it was night, we shoved out. When we got her to about the middle, we let her alone and let her float wherever the current wanted her to. And then we lit the pipes and dangled our legs in the water and talked about all kinds of things. We was always naked, day and night, whenever the mosquitoes would let us. The new clothes Bucks folks made me was too good to be comfortable. And besides, I didn't go much on clothes nohow. Sometimes we'd have that whole river to ourselves for the longest time. Yonder was the banks and islands across the water, maybe a spark, which was a candle in a cabin window. And sometimes on the water you could see a spark or two, on a raft or a scow, you know? And maybe you could hear a fiddle or a song coming from one of the crafts. It's lovely to live on a raft. We had the sky, up there, all speckled with stars. And we used to lay on our backs and look up at them and discuss whether they was made or just happened. Jim, he allowed they was made, but I allowed they happened. I judged it would have took too long to make so many. Jim said the moon could have laid them. Well, that looked kind of reasonable, so I didn't say nothing against it, because I seen a frog lay most as many, so of course it could be done. We used to watch the stars that fell, too, and see them straight down. Jim allowed they got spoiled and was hove out of the nest. Once or twice of a night, we'd see a steamboat slipping along in the dark, and now and then she would belch a whole world of sparks up out of her chimbleys so they would rain down in the river and look awful pretty. Then she would turn a corner, and her lights would wink out, and her powwow shut off and leave the river still again. And by and by, her ways would get to us a long time after she was gone and joggle the raft a bit. And after that, you wouldn't hear nothing, for you couldn't tell how long, except maybe frogs or something. After midnight, the people on shore went to bed. Then, for two or three hours, the shores was black. No more sparks in the cabin windows. These sparks was our clock. The first one that showed again meant morning was coming, so we hunted a place to hide and tie up right away. One morning, about daybreak, I found a canoe and crossed over a chute to the main shore. It was only a hundred yards, and paddled about a mile up a creek amongst the cypress woods to see if I couldn't get some berries. Just as I was passing a place where a kind of cow path crossed the creek, here comes a couple of men tearing up the path as tight as they could foot it. I thought I was a goner, for whenever anybody was after anybody, I judged it was me, or maybe Jim. I was about to dig out from there in a hurry, but they was pretty close to me then, and sung out and begged for me to save their lives. Said they hadn't been doing nothing and was being chased for it. Said there was men and dogs a-coming. They wanted to jump right in, but I says, Don't you do it. I don't hear dogs and horses yet. You got time to craft through the bushes and get up the creek a little ways, and then you take the water and wade down to me and get in. That'll throw the dogs off the scent. 
they done it. And as soon as they was aboard, I lit out for our towhead. In about five or ten minutes, we heard the dogs and the men away off, shouting. We heard them come along towards the creek, but we couldn't see them. They seemed to stop and fool around a while. Then, as we got further and further away all the time, we couldn't hardly hear them at all. By the time we had left a mile of woods behind us and struck the river, everything was quiet, and we paddled over to the towhead and hid in the cottonwoods, and was safe. One of the fellas was about seventy or upwards and had a bald head and very gray whiskers. He had an old, battered slouch hat on and a greasy blue woolen shirt and ragged old blue jean breeches stuffed into his boot tops and home-knit galluses. Nope, he had only one. He had an old, long-tailed blue jeans coat with slick brass buttons flung over his arms, and both of them had big, fat, ratty-looking carpet bags. The other one was about 30 and dressed as ornery. After breakfast, we all laid off and talked, and the first thing that come out was that these chaps didn't know one another. What got you into trouble? says the bald head to the other chap. Well, I've been selling nautical to take the tartar off the teeth, and it does take it off, too. And generally, the enamel along with it. But I stayed about one night longer than I ought to, and was just in the act of sliding out when I ran across you on the trail, this side of town, and you told me they was coming and begged me to help you get off. So I told you I was expecting trouble for myself and would scatter out with you. That's the whole yarn. What's yours? Well, I've been running a little temperance rival there about a week, and was the pet of the woman's folks, big and little, for I was making it mighty warm for the runners, I tell you, and taking much of five, six dollars a night, ten cents a head, children and it's free, and business a-growing all the time. When somehow or another a little report got round last night that I had a way of putting in my time with a private jug on the sky, and it roused me out this morning and told me people was gathering on the quiet with their dogs and horses, and they'd be along pretty soon to give me about half an hour's start, and then run me down, if they could. And if they got me, they'd tar and feather me and ride me on the rail, sure. I didn't wait for no breakfast. I weren't hungry. Old man, says the young one, I reckon we might double-team together. What you think? I ain't undisposed. What's your line, mainly? Jaw printer by trade, do little patent medicines, theater actor, tragedy, you know. Take a turn to mannerism and phrenology when there's a chance. Teach singing and geography school for a change. Sling lectures sometimes. Oh, I do a lot of things. Most anything that comes handy, so it ain't work. What's your lay? I've done considerable in the doctrine way in my time. Laying on hands is my best hole for cancer and paralysis and sick things. I can tell fortune pretty good when I got somebody along fine facts for me. Preaching's my line, too, and working camp meetings and missionarying around. Nobody never said anything for a while. Then the young man hove a sigh and says, Alas. What are you lessing about? said the bald head. To think I should have lived to be leading such a life and be degraded down in such company and he began to wipe the corner of his eye with a rag. Dern your skin! Ain't the company good enough for you? Says the bald head, pretty pert and uppish. Yes, it is good enough for me. It's as good as I deserve. Who fetched me so low when I was so high? 
I did myself. I don't blame you, gentlemen. Far from it. I don't blame anybody. I deserve it all. Let the cold world do its worst. One thing I know, there's a grave somewhere for me. The world may go on just as always done and take everything from me. Loved ones, property, everything. But it can't take that. Someday I'll lie down in it and forget it all and my poor broken heart will be at rest. He went on a whipping. Draw your poor broken heart, says the bald head. What are you heaving your poor broken heart us for? We ain't done nothing. No, I know you haven't. I ain't blaming you, gentlemen. I brought myself down. Yes, I did it myself. It's right I should suffer. Perfectly right. I don't make any more. Brought you down from what? What was you brought down from? Oh, you wouldn't believe me. world never believes me. Let it pass. It's no matter. Secret of my birth. Secret of your birth? Do you mean to say, gentlemen, says the young man very solemnly, I will reveal it to you, for I feel I may have confidence in you. By rights, I'm a duke. Jim's eyes bugged out when he heard that. I reckon mine did too. Then the bald head says, No, you can't mean it. Yes, my great-grandfather, eldest son of the Duke of Bridgewater, fled into this country about the end of the last century to breathe the pure air of freedom, married here and died, leaving a son, his own father, dying about the same time. The second son of the late Duke seized the titles and estates. The infant real Duke was ignored and I'm the lineal descendant of that infant. I'm the rightful Duke of Bridgewater. And here am I, forlorn, torn from my high estate, hunted of men, despised by the cold world, ragged, worn, heartbroken, and degraded to the companionship of felons on a raft. Jim pitied him ever so much. So did I. We tried to comfort him, but... He said it weren't much use. He couldn't be much comforted. Said if we was a mind to acknowledge him, that would do him more good than most anything else. So we said we would, if you tell us how. He said we ought to bow, and we spoke to him, say, Your Grace, or My Lord, or Your Lordship. And he wouldn't mind it if we called him plain Bridgewater, which he said was a tribe, anyway, and not a name. And one of us ought to wait on him at dinner, and do any little thing for him he wanted done. Well, that was all easy, so we done it. All through dinner, Jim stood round and waited on him, and says, Will your grace have some of this or some of that? And so on, and a body could see it was mighty pleasing to him. But the old man got pretty silent by and by, and didn't have much to say, and didn't look pretty comfortable over all that petting that was going on around the duke. He seemed to have something on his mind, so, along in the afternoon, he says, Looky here, Bridgewater, he says. I'm nation sorry for you, but you ain't the only person that's had problems like that. No, no, you ain't. You ain't the only person that's been snacked down wrongfully in a high place. Alas, no, 
You ain't the only person that's had a secret of his birth. And by jinx, he begins to cry. Hold on, what do you mean? Bilgewater, can I trust you? Says the old man, still sort of sobbing. To the bitter death. He took the old man by the hand and squeezed it and says, The secret of you being, speak. Bilgewater, I'm the late Dauphin. You betcha Jim and me stared this time. Then the Duke says, You are the what? Yes, my friend. It's too true. Your eyes is looking, at this very moment, on the poor, disappeared Dauphin. Louis Seventeen, son of Louis Sixteen, Marie Antoinette. You, at your age? No. You mean you're the late Charlemagne? You must be six, seven hundred years old at the very least. Trouble has done it, Bilgewater. Trouble has done it. Trouble has brung these gray hairs and premature bolditude. Yes, gentlemen, you see before you, in blue jeans and misery, the wandering, exiled, trampled-on, suffering, rightful king of France. Well, he cried and took on so that me and Jim didn't know hardly what to do. We were so sorry. And so glad and proud we got him with us, too. So we set in, like we'd done before with the Duke, and tried to comfort him. But he said it weren't no use, nothing but to be dead and done with it, for all it could do him any good. Though he said it often made him feel easier and better for a while if people treated him accordingly to his rights, and got down on one knee to speak with him, and always called him Your Majesty, and waited on him first at meals, and didn't sit down in his presence till he asked for him. So me and Jim set to majesty in him, and doing this and that for t'other of him, and standing up till he told us we might sit down. This done him heaps of good, and so he got cheerful and comfortable. But the Duke kind of soured on him, and didn't look a bit satisfied with the way things was going. Still, the king acted real friendly towards him, and said the Duke's great-grandfather and all the other Dukes of Bilgewater was good deal thought of by his father, and that he was allowed to come to the palace considerable. But the Duke stayed huffy good while, till by and by the king says, Like as not, we gotta be together a blamed long time on this here raft, Bilgewater. Like as not, we gotta be together a blamed long time on this here raft, Bilgewater. And so what's the use of your being sour? It'll only make things uncomfortable. It ain't my fault I wasn't born a duke. It ain't your fault you weren't born a king. So what's the use to worry? Make the best of things the way you found them, says I. That's my motto. This ain't no bad thing that we struck here. Plenty of grub and an easy life. Come on, give us your hand, duke. Let's all be friends. The Duke done it, and Jim and me was pretty glad to see it. It took away all the uncomfortableness, and we felt mighty good over it, because it would have been miserable business to have any unfriendliness on the raft. For what you want, above all things on a raft, is for everybody to be satisfied, and feel right and kind towards the others. It didn't take me long to make up my mind that these liars weren't no kings, nor dukes at all, but low-down humbugs and frauds. But I never said nothing, never let on, Kept to myself, and that's the best way. Then you don't have no quarrels, and then you don't get into no trouble. If they wanted us to call them kings and dukes, I had no objections, long as it would keep the peace in the family. And it weren't no use to tell Jim, so I didn't tell him. 
if I never learned anything else out of Pat, I learned that the best way to get along with his kind of people is to let them have it their own way. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there's more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It is the quickest way to get this in front of as many people as possible, which would be real nice. And it would really make my day. So, thanks. If you really enjoyed, then you can join the channel here on YouTube or by clicking the first link in the podcast description, you can support me there as well, which would be great. Once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.